Welcome in to episode number three of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg back with you. You can find us as always on Twitter, on our personal accounts at Rob Wong 34 at jgoldberg12. You can find us at DFA underscore pod on Twitter and DFA podcast on Instagram and TikTok as well. The Blue Jays uh, in the middle of a game right now as we record this podcast, the series finale against the Oakland Athletics. But before we get into all of the stuff on the field, Josh, of course, uh, a lot of news off the field. And of course, a few weeks ago, of course, we uh, saw one of our former colleagues, Jamie Campbell, announced that uh, he is battling leukemia still on the Blue Jays Central podcast, of course. And we want to wish Jamie all the best in his fight and some unfortunate news on this Sunday as well. Prior to the series finale, Buck Martinez, Blue Jays uh, analyst, Blue Jays play-by-play voice, also announcing that he is dealing with a cancer diagnosis. It's going to go away, obviously, for a little bit and uh, fight that battle. Uh, Two guys, as I mentioned, that we've crossed paths with uh, for a large part of our careers. We've gone to interview both uh, gentlemen, had to uh, obviously had the pleasure of meeting both gentlemen throughout the years and just want to wish them uh, all the best in their fights. And we know that they got this and uh, they're going to pull through. Yeah, very well said. And and I echo that completely. Definitely uh, jarring news to see before the ball game. And, you know, like you could see the emotion on Jamie and Joe Siddle's uh, mm-hmm. faces and in their voices as they were talking about it. And a nice tribute from uh, Dan Schulman, who obviously Buck has worked with. You know, that was like kind of the soundtrack on those baseball games, like especially on TSN in the mid late 90s, you know, kind of growing up around that era of baseball. They were the voices uh, in in large part. And it's been pretty cool to see it kind of come full circle, you know, a decade or two decades in some cases later with those two continuing to do it together, coming back together to do it together for a new generation of Blue Jays fans. So, yeah, obviously uh, all the best to Buck, all the best to Jamie. Uh, Hopefully, you know, it's uh, something that they can fight strong, come out on the other side and, and do what. Blue Jays fans know and love, which is down at a ballpark talking about the game, breaking down the game and and doing their thing. So absolutely all the best to both of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, as well as we uh, get into the on field stuff regarding your Toronto Blue Jays, a bit of an up and down week so far, some good, some bad, of course, Josh. But I guess before we even get into the Blue Jays side of things, we've got to talk about the umpiring because uh, it has been atrocious to uh, say the least. The uh, strike calls have not been going the Blue Jays way. And of course, I know everybody loves to talk about the fact that, you know, maybe there's this Toronto bias, this Canada bias that Major League Baseball does not want to see the team from north of the border succeed. So they uh, have this conspiracy theory that the umpires are working against them but it's interesting uh you look at umpire scorecards.com umpscorecards.com one of the better twitter accounts there out uh, out there as well where they uh, have i guess sort of uh you know the scorecards of these umpire performances and you know jeff nelson was uh, pretty bad on saturday afternoon to say the least had a 22 pitches called wrong according to uh, yeah. ump scorecards but it's if you filter it by accuracy you go to their website and you filter it by accuracy the three least accurate games this year involve the blue jays that yeah. game by jeff nelson 86.2 percent the worst on the season so far and that is followed by andy fletcher who uh, umped the uh, April 9th game between the blue jays and the rangers and the third worst game was the game after that game morales calling the third worst game by an umpire as far as strike zone accuracy this year. So uh, it's a small sample early on in the season, Josh, but uh, I don't think your uh, eyes are deceiving you when you watch how poorly the umpires have performed so far in some of these Blue Jays games. And uh, we always talk about robo umps, and uh, I've been uh, a big supporter of that. But as I mentioned on Twitter on uh, Saturday as well, after the Jeff Nelson game, that I think, you know, something that's been talked about uh, around major league circles, and I don't know if it'll necessarily get to that point, but I think you can make a case, you know, if you don't want to go all the way to robot umps, you just got to shrink, shrink the strike zone because, you know, some of those pitches that Jeff Nelson was calling just unhittable pitches and really nothing that the batters can even do with. Like if if Matt Chapman's going to swing at that pitch four inches off the plate, I mean, you know, what's, what's the point? If you want to have more balls in play, you want to have more action. uh, You know, one of the things that you can do is make the pitchers have to throw the ball 
over the plates and not get these absurd calls that are on pitches that hitters just really can't do anything with. It's hard enough to hit the baseball in general, making it even more difficult just seems so counterintuitive. If you're, you know, major league baseball, you're trying to get offense up. You're trying to get more balls in play. You're trying to get more, you know, quote unquote action. It just seems like something um, that you can do, but you know, feels like we've been yelling about umpires forever. Like there's yeah. no, I can't even say like the last five, 10 years. It just feels like something that uh, fans and baseball observers have had an issue with for decades upon decades of uh, major league baseball. So I like, as I watched all of that unfold on Saturday, the first thing that came to my mind was, boy, am I glad that we have a podcast where I can say what is truly on my mind unfiltered without, you know, any fear of like, you know, somebody coming down on me if I accidentally say something. And I'll just start with by saying that I thought it was a fucking joke, to be honest. Like, I, I understand that it's really hard to call balls and strikes when guys are throwing upper 90s. The human eye is not trained to do that. It's impossible, basically, to be close to 100% accurate. And umpires who do sometimes, because it's not every game where this is happening, but there are always missed calls. You're not going to get everything right. And it's especially magnified when there's movement and velocity and all of that. So like, you know, Jeff Nelson is fighting an uphill battle. It's an extremely difficult job to do. And, you know, a lot of the naysayers for robot umps will just say, well, look at the videos uh, online where balls that are uh, like eight inches off the plate are getting called uh, a strike. I can much more uh, get on board with the idea of technology being tweaked and figuring out how to master the technology and get the calls right pretty much all the time or close to all the time, as opposed to, you know, banging your head against the wall with umps who have been around for, you know, however many years, years and years, decades, in some cases, all of a sudden figuring it out when it's getting harder and harder to, to do so when the pitches are just so difficult to track. And you might say, oh, well, penalize the umps, have like a minor league system where they get demoted if they shit the bed too many times on calls. Like, okay, that's something, but are you really certain that up and coming young umps are going to be able to do a better job? I think you're just in tough right now where it's going to be almost impossible to really get the calls right. So, you know, whether it's next year or the year after, continue finding ways to fine tune the tech, test it down in the minors, get it better and better and better. And if you want to have an ump behind the, the robot, like I don't think it's going to be like the Fox football robot Cletus or whatever his name is. Like I don't <laughs> think it's going to be some artificial intelligence where he's making the motions back there, maybe in, in due time. But I, I think that the primary has to be finding a way to get the tech better because the umps just aren't all of a sudden going to be able to handle what pitchers are able to do moving it on both sides of the plate, the amount of velocity. I just think that it's not something that is all of a sudden in any way, shape or form going to get better. And they're not going to all of a sudden have this light bulb click in their heads where they're able to decipher it uh, better than they have been. And, and the toughest part is there's just zero accountability. Yes. I mean, you know, when Jeff Nelson has a game like that, I'm sure, you know, Major League Baseball, they kind of look at it and go, like, that's that's tough. But like with the umpires union and just everything surrounding that, I mean, like you said, it'd be great if there was like a minor league system. I think that's what they do in Korea, right? The KBO. Yeah. 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 If you have like a really rough stretch, then they demote you down to the minors. But mm -hmm you know, major league baseball umpires are never going to sign up for that uh, where, you know, they could get sent down to the minors after having a game like uh, Jeff Nelson did on uh, Saturday afternoon. So it's uh, unfortunately uh, an evil part of the game that we have to uh, live with for the time being, but uh, it does feel like robot umpires are coming. It's, it's on the way. The fact yeah. that they're doing it in the minor leagues and, you know, the, uh, I think Arizona fall league from time to time, like it's, feels like in our lifetime we will see uh, robot umpires and there's going to be a lot of detractors uh, towards it of course you know I, I saw there was a clip circulating on Twitter the other day where you know a catcher I think it's down in the minors he's set up on the outside of the plate and the ball gets thrown on the inside of the plate and he has to reach over I think he even drops the the catch yeah. and you know robo arm calls it a strike and everybody's like yeah. you want this call to strike yeah. and it's like well, if it's in the strike zone, uh, regardless of where the catcher catches it, it should be a strike. So Agreed. even if, you know, we see it all the time where, you know, a guy, a catcher sets up on the outside of the plate, ball hits him right in the chest, you know, dead center of the strike zone, but he drops the ball and the umpire like doesn't call it a strike. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, it doesn't matter 
where the ball is after it crosses the plate. If it's in that box and it's uh, over the plate and it's within, you know, the strike zone limitations, yeah. it should be a strike. So I don't want to keep going with this because I, I feel like we could do an entire podcast about robo umps and the ridiculous strike zone. But uh, we needed to both get that off our chest with uh, how bad things were. Uh, over the weekend with Jeff Nelson and, and how bad it's been so far in some of these games involving the Toronto Blue Jays. So one of the other uh, unfortunate parts of Saturday's game, not only the loss, of course, but the Blue Jays now dealing with another player on the injured list. And that, of course, is Hunjin Ryu, who was dealing with some left forearm soreness, according to manager Charlie Montoyo post game. Uh, following that uh, loss to the Oakland Athletics. And, of course, on Sunday, he lands on the IL with left forearm inflammation. Ryan Barucki has been activated. He uh, rejoined the team yesterday and was, uh, I believe, throwing a bullpen session. So he's back with the team now. But this is uh, nothing new, Josh. Uh, we were concerned coming into the season with uh, Hunjin Ryu and what mm-hmm. he might do in uh, 2022. But it isn't even just a recent thing. This dates back to a season ago where the second half was just an absolute nightmare for Ryu and you know it's an arbitrary stat but if you you know include these uh, first two starts of this season and you go all the way back to last June the 4th that's uh, a combined 23 starts now and Ryu has an ERA of 580 he's got a FIP of 4.6 he's striking out less than seven batters per nine innings he's giving up a homer and a half per nine innings it's just not been good and I mean, he's on the IL right now. You hope that, you know, he was struggling early on here because of that uh, injury. But, you know, what do you do at this point? If you're the Blue Jays, you're obviously going to take these 10 days and, you know, see how he fares coming back. But, you know, is it a situation where we're getting to Tanner Roark, you know, land yeah. where you're uh, just oh. sending him off? Do you just give him an extended IL stint here and you know just wait to to see if he can come back and you know give you something like there's a lot of concern right now with uh, a year and uh you know a full like basically two years left on this deal at the money that the blue jays have him at for um what are you doing if you're uh, the toronto blue jays and uh, hunjin ryu you're kind of in a you know, caught between a rock and a hard place here a little bit and i thought it was really telling that after saturday's game you know charlie montoya was there wasn't any excuse making. Like he basically said no excuses. Ryu hasn't been good. He hasn't been executing. He hasn't been locating his spots and he's been getting torched. And how many times have we said over the past couple of seasons when his fastball is sub 90, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And his curveball was averaging like just a shade over 70 miles per hour. And like, come on, if your fastball is sub 90 and you're not hitting your spots and you're basically just flipping over uh, like a beach ball of a curveball, which is essentially what it was. Like we saw a 452 foot home run hit off of him. And like, I think this is one of those situations that if Ross Stripling comes in and pitches the way that he did on Friday in the series opener against Oakland and does more of that and, and less of, you know, some of the roadblocks and bumps in the road that we saw last year from him around other, some other quality starts. Like it was not all bad. It was honestly, I thought pretty good for the most part uh, after the first month of the season or so for Ross Stripling last year, then Ryu, like he isn't going to just, walk waltz back in to a rotation spot if stripling's pitching well then ryu just i think you know goes to the bullpen realistically and i i don't think that that's ideal because that stuff isn't going to be great in a bullpen situation you're obviously like you know the minors is not something that is realistic like i don't think you're releasing him i don't think we're at that point and i think that they are going to try everything they possibly can to get him right but there's no more, you know, like your past reputation precedes you where your spot is guaranteed because you've finished finalist for the American League Cy Young in 2020. Like you said, the sample size of lousy starts is pretty large here. And the Blue Jays are focused on winning as many ball games as possible. And if he can't give you a chance to win every fifth day, then that answers it. And you're not trotting him out there. And then I think you figure out what you have to do. Is it a trade? Like, do you eat money? Like, I don't, that doesn't really bother me because money is just money. And and when you have revenues coming in, if the team is good, then you can make those kinds of mistakes disappear a little bit. But there are no easy answers here when it comes to Ryu. Like, uh, I think a lot of it is kind of uh, contingent on Stripling, but ideally Stripling pitches well, and then you're just left 
with a dis- not much of a decision. And it's just, well, Ryu kind of has to take his medicine a little bit. And, you know, if somebody gets injured or falters, he can slot back into the rotation, but not until then, because the performance just hasn't justified it. Yeah, and of course, Nate Pearson working his way back as well. He was being built up as a starter um, during spring training. So he's a guy that could, you know, be sort of similar to, to Ross Stripling. And I don't know if it's, if it's even a case where you can, you know, piggyback those guys when, um, you know, when Pearson is ready to return. You know, the one comparison, maybe the parallel that I would draw here, obviously the contracts are completely different. But, you know, I look at that 2015 Blue Jays team and they were, of course, ridiculous in the second half of the season. But Drew Hutchison made 30 starts or 28 starts. He appeared in 30 games for that 2015 season and he had an ERA of 5.57. So, you know, even good teams can carry one guy in the rotation. It's not ideal. But I just, I personally just don't see a scenario where Hunjin Ryu is going to be like Tanner Roark was and they send him to the bullpen and be like, you know, this is where you are now. And obviously the Blue Jays ended up cutting ties with Roark. But I, I think they're going to give Ryu as many chances as he can to, to right the ship. And, you know, there's the, the classic five and dive. Maybe he's not yeah. even five and dive anymore. Maybe he's a one time through the order guy, maybe four innings if things are going well. Like there's still some value to him. Like, I mean, we've, seen it in, you know, moments. I mean, yesterday he was, you know, good in the first inning and then it completely, you know, fell apart and, and that's not ideal, but, you know, I, I'm not sure the blue Jays are ready to just completely um, cast him aside. Uh, they'll, like I said, obviously let him uh, deal with this injury. And, and once he returns, uh, they will go from there, but there is precedent. I mean, the blue Jays front office was not the one uh, running the show in 2015, yeah. uh, but we do see it from time to time where, you know, even good teams have one spot in the rotation where you're just carrying uh, a black hole. And uh, unfortunately, you know, you need someone to make some starts, make some uh, get out there and throw the ball every five or six days and, and kind of see what happens. Um, you know, with Hunjin Ryu, it's just like you said, uh, no easy answer for uh, what you're kind of doing with him moving forward here. But uh, he'll spend some time on the IL, and uh, when he comes back, the Blue Jays will have some interesting decisions to make with uh, their lefty, Hunjin Ryu. The uh, injuries, like I said, piling up as well on the offensive side of things. And uh, we've had two podcasts, and uh, so far we've just cursed oh, like yeah, a bad. good chunk of the roster. The first ever episode, we cursed uh, Greg Bird and Nate Pearson. And then last week, we praised Danny Jansen and Teoscar Hernandez. And both of those guys are dealing with oblique injuries. Now, that being said, I also praised uh, praised Vladdy last week. And uh, he had a monster week. So the the curse is sort of uh, inconsistent. It it picks and chooses uh, who it wants to to hurt. But uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Danny Jansen, obviously a big blow to the offense. Danny Jansen looked like he was uh, just ready to have a breakout season and still could be, but uh, it seems like he's going to be out a little bit longer than Teoscar Hernandez um, at this point. But you look at the guys that have filled in Josh, Rymel Tapia, Bradley Zimmer, and even Zach Collins, who uh, has definitely impressed the most out of those three bench players, the three guys that were picked up prior to this season, your uh, overall thoughts on what we've seen so far from the uh, guys that have had to step up in the absence of Danny Jansen and Teoscar Hernandez. Well, it hasn't been great, I would say, by and large. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and throw the book at some of these guys after a very limited number of plate appearances at bats, games, you name it. It just... I think making like, this is the thing that always, I think kind of more amuses me than anything else. When it comes to April baseball, the takes are just so extreme. Like, you know, a guy has a a one for 14 skid in June. Well, Oh, you know, he's just kind of scuffling a little bit. He'll find it. Guy has a one for 14 stretch to start the season or in the first two, three weeks of the season. Ah, well, DFA is ass. He stinks. Get rid of him. He's terrible. So it's just, you don't, I understand you don't have a lot of uh, sample size and recency bias plays a part. Like, you know, Rymel Tapia was not advertised as being a particularly good offensive player. He played half of his games at Coors Field and was still a below average offensive player. Bradley Zimmer, same thing. Tools, but not exactly somebody who has done it with any level of success or consistency at the big league level. You know, Zach Collins, I think was profiled as a bat first catcher and that's starting to come to fruition. I think as we're talking, you know, six for nine uh, on, on the homestand, he's been excellent. Has hit some home runs, 
he has a, a bat that I think can play at the major league level. And Reese McGuire didn't. So I, I think that actually considering the Jays circumstances with Jansen on the shelf, like I don't, I haven't noticed defensively that they've been that terrible. Like I think Kirk has been impressive, even though, you know, he hasn't been swinging it uh, great defensively. They've been fine. And Collins has really helped, uh, especially against Oakland offensively, which has been a nice boost from a position that hasn't given you that much uh, over the past couple of seasons. Like, I think it's been about as expected. There have been some moments, you know, like Tapia has shown his wheels, has shown his slap hitting tendencies. You know, Zimmer made a nice dive and grab on Saturday to keep the ball game tied. You know that he's capable in center field, has experience there, has good wheels. So, like, it, it, it's been exactly, I think, what I expected and anticipated it would be. There are going to be some positives, I think, going forward for, for all of these guys. Like, I think Bradley Zimmer will have some moments where he hits four extra base hit power like there's going to be some home runs Tapia is going to do his thing steal some bases might run into one from time to time but you have to be prepared for the reality that there's going to be some lean moments and they're much more magnified when Teoscar Hernandez is out of the lineup and you're having to rely on them more than just you know kind of a bit part where it's a day here or there a pinch runner or a defensive substitution late in a ball game they're going to be playing nine innings until Tay Oscar gets back more than I think all of us would like to see. And I think you just sort of have to live with the results and hope that the rest of your ball club and your pitching can prop it up and they can ship in here and there uh, to keep you afloat. And I think, you know, what gets lost in the conversation sometimes with, you know, some of these guys, whether it's a Rymel Tapia, Zach Collins or Bradley Zimmer, you know, they're bench players for a reason. Like yes. they're part-time players for a reason, you know, they are flawed, which is why they're not full-time players. And you look around Major League Baseball and even the best teams, you look at their benches and teams are not carrying guys that should be playing full-time. Those exactly. players play full-time. You know, I, I was even looking back to the 15 and 16 Blue Jays teams and I was curious, you know, some of the statistics with, uh, you know, guys like Ezekiel Carrera or Deanna Navarro. They were not great hitters. I mean, all of those guys had like below, um, you know, uh, 100 OPS pluses. Like they were below average players, but you think of them, you know, as being sufficient because they had moments from time to time, right? Like Ezekiel Carrera had some, you know, big hits and some nice catches in the outfield. I can remember Deonor Navarro with some big hits, you know, for the Blue Jays in the second half of, you know, 2015 on their way to, you know, their postseason push. So, you know, we've seen it a little bit so far. I mean, Rymel Tapia has had some moments scoring from first on a double, you know, hitting some balls pretty hard. Zach Collins, as you mentioned, he's had some moments. Bradley Zimmer in the field, not so much at the plate, but there's going to be some good and bad. But yeah. there is a reason that these guys are part-time players. They are flawed in a lot of different ways. So, you know, the idea that the Blue Jays could have, you know, prior to the season or even now, they can go out and get some guys that they can play, you know, full-time or going to be able to step in and, you know, replicate a Teoscar Hernandez or a Danny yeah. Jansen. Like, I just don't think, that's realistic. We don't see those types of moves in April. You know, maybe we'll see that down, down the line come the trade deadline when the Blue Jays are looking to bolster their bench and, you know, find some guys that can step up if they, you know, happen to lose some of their regulars to significant injuries. But, you know, right now, the bench that they have is the bench that they have. And you look around Major League Baseball, we, you know, you even look at the Yankees, their bench is what? Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner, Falefa, Jose Trevino, like, you know, if those guys were on the Blue Jays at this point, I mean, are they any better than the Blue Jays' current bench? Like, this is just the reality of uh, Major League Baseball teams. You know, you're not calling up Gabriel Moreno to play two, three times a week. No. Like, you're calling that guy up to play him full time. Uh, and maybe we'll get into that conversation in a moment when we talk about Alejandro Kirk. But I, I just think the idea that the Blue Jays, you know, can go out and find some full-time players right now to step up in the absence of Teoscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen is just, it's just not realistic. Yeah. Like look what happened last year with Corey Dickerson. That happened what mid late June. And that was a nice little bench piece. And, you know, I've seen some, well, why didn't the Jays sign Eddie Rosario or why didn't the Jays sign Jock Peterson? You know, Jock Peterson is not coming here to play once or twice a week to just basically get some scraps. Like, it's just not realistic. Giants were going to offer him basically every day at bats on one side of a platoon, which was not going to happen with the Blue Jays. Like, you're just in a difficult position when your outfield situation is pretty firmly set, uh, barring injuries, 
And, you know, free agents aren't going to make decisions based on, oh, well, Springer's got a checkered injury history. Like, Tay Oscar's missed some time in the past. Guriel's missed some time in the past. No, they want the cleanest path possible to every day at bats, especially on a one-year deal, to, you know, have a good year statistically and maybe position themselves in the following offseason to strike a more lucrative long-term deal. So I, I never understood that. Like these guys want to maximize their opportunity and the Blue Jays outfield wise didn't really do that. But like you said, come June, July, you know, teams right now aren't making deals because it's too early to just be like, oh, well, you're the Cincinnati Reds. Well, we know we stink, but we're not going to trade any players a week into the season. Like it's just not going to happen. Gen- like maybe you could find an opportunity in May or early June, but generally start to see all, see mo- more moves made, you know, mid late June and obviously into July. And the Jays should be in a nice position uh, to make those kinds of moves to fortify the areas of their roster that they feel like a need addressing. And you should have every confidence that they're going to do so, but to expect it to overnight be ideal and, you know, for a bench, like you said, to ever really be all that good in terms of possessing a lot of upside, I think is kind of unrealistic and unfair. Yeah. And even the position that the Blue Jays find themselves in now, you look at the minor leagues and they're unfortunately not a team that has outfielders coming out the wazoo that are, mm-hmm. you know, ready to step in and be full-time players, right? They had a Josh Palacios and, you know, they decided, you know, he's probably not that much better than Bradley Zimmer or uh, Rymel Tapia. Like, why would we, you know, replace him with those guys? They ended up obviously designating him for assignment and he gets picked up by uh, the Nationals. You look at, you know, Dexter Fowler, he's still working his way back. I guess he is sort of that next guy in line that, you know, when he gets back to, to being full health, could maybe find his way onto the major league roster if it gets to that point. And the Blue Jays are really desperate to, to find some help uh, in the outfield. I know there was a lot of uh, discourse on uh, the social media platforms about one Randall Grichik oh, this uh, past week. Uh, I don't need to get into that. No, um, I mean, <laughs> that's just classic. Oh, my God. That's just classic, uh, like Blue Jays and classic. Uh, I guess Toronto sports in general, right? It's like you crap on this guy for how many years about yeah. like, okay, we need to get rid of this guy. He's yeah. garbage. And yeah. then he goes away and the replacements, you know, that take over are not maybe, you know, uh, hitting or performing up to people's standards. And all of a sudden it's like, why did you trade Randall Critchick? Like we could have <laughs> used this guy. And it's like, Oh my goodness. Like how is this happening year after year after yeah. year? Like, Oh, he's the one that got away. Like you should have kept him. blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's uh, just hilarious. Sometimes uh, the conversations that uh, happen out there, but uh, Zach Collins definitely uh, standing out so far out of the uh, replacements that have uh, stepped in, in the absence of Teoscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen. So we touched on uh, Alejandro Kirk. And uh, as you mentioned, the defense has been, Pretty good. Uh, Definitely better than I think uh, a lot of people expected coming into the season, but uh, he is an offensive catcher. And uh, so far this season, it has not been good. It's been hitting into a a lot of double plays, which obviously is expected because he's not the most fleet of foot, but uh, has not hit any uh, authority with any authority so far. Josh does not have a single barrel this year. The hard hit percentage is uh, below his career norms the average exit velocity is down about four miles an hour it is early Uh, it's only you know eight nine games into the season for Alejandro Kirk but I mean with the way Zach Collins is swinging the bat uh do you kind of have to ride the hot hand at this point I mean could we see a scenario where against right-handed pitching Zach Collins is maybe getting some more starts and more plate appearances over Alejandro Kirk, or do you think I'm uh, being a little bit uh, too premature with that? They're, they're going to give Kirk as many chances as possible. To I think that the, there's a chance that he sees some, I still think primarily they're going to ride with Kirk because like even you mentioned, he hasn't barreled the ball and he's not hitting it with any authority, but like he's still walking, you know, more than 10% of the time and he doesn't strike out and he, like if you're a contact type of hitter, which he is, I don't think he's ever going to be a prototypical power hitting catcher. That's just never really been his game. Like I think he could hit 12 to 15 home runs or something like that, but he puts the bat on the ball too many grounders, but like his profile is such where he, I think is going to start stinging balls, line drives, and a few are going to leave the fence. And like, we're talking entering Sunday, 28 plate appearances. And the guy still only has 242 career plate appearances in 77 career games. It feels like he's a grizzled vet because this is his third big league season, 
But you look, he played, what, 10 games, nine games in 2020, played 60 games last year, and has still been a better than league average offensive performer. So am I really going to get that worked up and bent out of shape over eight, nine games and about 30 plate appearances? The answer is no. I I think that he is going to find his stride and be a better than league average offensive player. And if he can continue what he's been doing uh, defensively and, and, you know, being put in a tough position where he's got to manage more pitchers and really take the onus to, to lead the staff in some uh, respects, then I think you're going to be happy with what you're seeing from him. I think it's only a matter of time uh, before he starts to resemble the player and the, the catcher uh, that we've seen over his first two seasons or so, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if you really call them seasons, but first two years, I guess, in the bigs. Now, it doesn't help that Gabriel Moreno down with AAA Buffalo right now is hitting 429. Uh, he has not struck out either as well. And uh, with the way Kirk is going, a lot of fans keeping their eyes on what's happening with the Buffalo Bisons and you know, maybe wondering, could uh, that be a scenario where Kirk goes down and Moreno comes up? But considering Danny Jansen's going to be out for a while, uh, I doubt the Blue Jays are going to want to go with a rookie catcher and Zach Collins, who has been here for like three weeks as they're catching tandem. Like Kirk is going to be the guy here, uh, even if he continues to struggle. You know, we saw it even with Danny Jansen. He was giving them value behind the plate defensively, even though he wasn't swinging it a couple of seasons ago. Like the, the Blue Jays, you know, value that. They, they value the continuity. Um, so I think it would have to be pretty, pretty bad for Alejandro Kirk to uh, get demoted. Um, they're going to keep giving him opportunities. The only way I can see it flipped is if Kirk ends up on the IL, then you have no choice. You have to bring somebody up, and Moreno will probably be the next guy. So he's not that far away, Josh. He's one injury away from, you know, coming up here and getting some major league at bats. Uh, a lot of people, you know, said before the season, you, you post a, an over under date for Gabby Moreno to make his major league debut, you know, around June, June 1st, I guess, you know, it was a, a date that I saw some people put out there. So it's uh, it's pretty close, but uh, I, I think we're still at a stage here, like you said, where Kirk is going to be the guy here moving forward, barring some uh, injury or some uh, really, really bad performance behind uh, the plate. Uh, Vladdy, meanwhile, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continuing to uh, carry over what he did a season ago when he was a finalist for the MVP, probably should have won the award in uh, some people's eyes. We uh, saw that incredible game that he had against Garrett Cole and the Yankees last week, followed it up with a big homer in the first game back home against the uh, Oakland Athletics. There are some interesting things about, though, about Vladdy's season so far, Josh. The uh, walk rate is down a little bit from his career mark, and the strikeout rate is uh, up quite a decent amount, 6%, uh, 22.2% coming into Sunday's action. On the whole, still uh, putting up a monster season so far with five home runs, a 228 WRC plus following uh, Saturday's game but uh what have you made of Vladdy's season uh, early on here so far there's been some high of high and highs uh with the three homer game but he followed it up with a four strikeout game the day after the golden sombrero um you know do you have any concerns about uh, what you've seen from Vladdy so far at the plate or do you think it's just early season I mean you can't take too much stock into what we've seen so far in these uh first you know 36 plus uh, at bats as you mentioned with uh, Alejandro Kirk you're not freaking out too much so far it's kind of weird to say that you have concerns about a guy uh with a 200 plus WRC plus but uh you know I just wonder you know with the strikeout rate elevated the walk rate um you know maybe there's something there that uh, maybe we should keep an eye on but uh, I think maybe for me on on the whole I mean he's probably the last guy you're worrying about on this team yeah, well, I think the the counter or, or the reverse is, well, the fact that he hasn't fully locked in yet and he's still leading the majors in home runs. I know that he hit 60% of his long balls in one game against the Yankees. But like you said, 228 WRC plus entering Sunday's game. And like there have been some tough at-bats. Severino was excellent against him uh, in that game against the Bronx. He struck out a couple of times uh, on Sunday. Like, I think it's still early season, not as many at bats in spring, still figuring some stuff out mechanically. But even so, with more strikeouts and a few less walks early, he's still got five home runs and he still hit the ball a long, hard, far away a number of times. So once he puts it all together, and it's not a question of if, it's once and when, then the numbers are going to be prodigious. And I think the walk rate is going to be back up over 10%. The strikeout rate is going to be back under 20%. And the numbers, like I said, are going to be great. And he's going to be contending for the MVP. So I'm more encouraged than anything else that he hasn't really looked 
quite like last year, quite right on the whole in terms of just his whole, whole offensive profile, but he's still producing. I think that just speaks to the level of talent that he has. Yeah, I think uh, you're spot on there with that uh, analysis. Uh, another guy that had a big week in the Bronx, Kevin Gossman, who uh, pitched incredibly well in his second start of the season, struck out nine Yankees over five and two thirds, uh, struggled with the bottom of the lineup, probably got a little unlucky with some uh, uh, bloop hits from a guy in uh, Jose Trevino, as they kind of for Leffer got to him as well. But uh, Gossman in that second start, Josh, doing exactly what I think the Blue Jays expected him to do when they signed him to that five-year deal that that splitter is when it's on I mean it's just one of the most unhittable pitches in Major League Baseball like you look at some of the ABs from guys like Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge like they just didn't know what to do with it even Josh Donaldson you know whiffing on some of these uh, split fingers and some of these change-ups I mean those are three incredibly good hitters that uh, Kevin Gossman just made uh, made them look absolutely foolish and you look at the uh, numbers on the season now he's rocking a point four four fifth. Yeah. which is uh, incredible. We, we had concerns coming into the season. You know, would he be homer prone coming to these smaller ballparks now back in the American League? But he hasn't given up a homer, hasn't walked anyone either. Like, you know, it's been uh, incredible um, how good he has uh, looked at times so far in two starts. Yeah, he fills up the zone. And I, like, I thought, already think that when that splitter is on, it's one of the better pitches I in recent memory I can ever think of seeing any Blue Jays pitcher starter reliever whoever it is throw like Robbie Ray slider last year obviously uh was excellent as, as well you know Roy Halladay's cutter like there have been some great ones over the years but that is just straight up filth the bottom just falls out and when the fastball is good it's just so hard uh to really recognize and to time it up so he's just been like especially in that start in New York and I thought he battled relatively well and he threw some really good splitters in his first start against texas he's been as advertised he's going to continue building getting stronger being able to give you six plus every time out and striking out a bet better than a batter per inning pitch and not walking very many the home runs are going to come because there are going to be times where the splitter isn't quite on and that's i think when he gets burned a little bit but he talked about just wanting to be more like the pitcher he was before the all-star break last year, instead of a post, uh, you know, to the after the all-star break when his ERA was up over four. And I think it's just a matter of being more consistent with his fastball and his splitter and then mixing in, I guess that, that change up a little bit more, which I didn't think we saw a ton of on uh whatever day it was uh, against the Yankees. It was mostly fastballs and splitters, but if you can mix in a third pitch, maybe even a fourth pitch at times, just to keep hitters honest, that I think will only serve to, to help him uh, a little bit, but yeah, he's been, I think as advertised and I think blue Jays fans are going to really enjoy watching him work every uh, fifth day because it's unconventional. It's different than how a lot of pitchers throw these days but it works. It's hard to deny the fact that the results are there. And it's it just a, he's a, it's a fun guy to watch work uh, when he takes the ball. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different, but sort of similar to the way things were with Marco Estrada. It was like, you knew it was going to be one of these two pitches. Most likely it was going to be either a fastball or it was going to be this uh, off-speed pitch where the bottom, you know, drops off with uh, the nasty splitter and the nasty changeup uh, that he has. But if, you know, Kevin Gossman's not the best pitcher on this team or having the best season so far. You'd probably make a case for Alec Manoa, of course, and probably make a case for Jordan Romano, who uh, prior to the season, I really regret that I did not make Jordan Romano my one of my bold predictions. I thought about saying that Jordan Romano was going to lead Major League Baseball in saves, but I figured the Blue Jays offense, you know, they were yeah. going to be winning a lot of games, you know, nine to five or, you know, seven to three. There, there weren't going to be a ton of save opportunities for Jordan Romano. Uh, but you look so far in the season, he's pitched in uh, five games and he has five saves. Every game he's coming to so far, he has picked up a save. And uh, you didn't think he could get better based off of the season that he had uh, last year, but uh, the stuff. Looks even more impressive, Josh. The the slider that uh, he was able to you know figure out late in the season last year looks even better this year. He is uh, up the percentage from a season ago. Uh, the fastball, you know, velocity is a little bit down from where it was last year, where it averaged ninety seven point six miles an hour. It's just a shade under ninety six, but just overall, the the stuff um, just looks more complete for for Jordan Romano this year. Hasn't walked a batter either as well. It felt like uh, you know last year coming into uh, an outing, he would like. Allow the first guy to get on and then work his way out of trouble. 
But so far this year, it's been pretty stress-free for uh, Jordan Romano, who's five for five so far in saves. Yeah, the slider has been really good. That's been my biggest takeaway is that he's thrown his slider more, which means he's feeling good about it. He's trusting it in, in every situation, and it's been effective because you know a lot of times last year, and the results were still excellent, he was basically just throwing fastball after fastball after fastball, and he'd occasionally mix in a slider. And a lot of times, you know, if it wasn't good, that was when he got himself into trouble. If he hung one, you know, that was when, you know, somebody might be able to take him yard. And so far, he's been basically unhittable. His strikeouts haven't been quite as high. Like he's usually at the 12 plus per nine, and that hasn't been the case so far. Still a very small sample size, but he's looked excellent, looked very, very difficult to square up. And it's just such a relief, such a comfort having that level of stopper in the ninth inning where you just feel like, you know, he is going to get the job done every time he takes the ball. You know, I, I said, I tweeted out, I thought 35 plus saves. I think he had like 23, 24 last year. And, you know, like you think, Oh, a team that's going to win 90 plus games. That's not that hot of a take, but they were expected. I think just probably win a lot of games convincingly. And early on he's been called on, you know, frequently, basically it seems like every second day for a save chance and he hasn't blinked once there hasn't been even a moment of doubt or, or any uncertainty. And it speaks to just how I think comfortable he is in the role now and how much he trusts his stuff can get any major league hitter out. Yeah, he's been an absolute monster, obviously, surpassing Tom Hankey's uh, team record for most consecutive saves just continues to build on that. Pretty cool that, uh, you know, you look at the history of closers that this organization has had. They've had some spectacular ones. Tom Hankey, Dwayne Ward. I even think of, you know, guys like Billy Koch. You know, you want to look at, a you know, Kevin Gregg, Miguel Batista. Maybe that's not the, uh, the, the greatest closers that this team has had. Uh, there's another guy whose uh, name I do not want to mention that pitched for this team between uh, 2015 and uh, 2017 that uh, on the field at least was a, a very productive, pr- uh, productive major league pitcher. But it's pretty sweet that, you know, one of the, I would say top five closers in the history of this team is a guy from Markham that grew up watching this team would go to games. Like that's a, a pretty cool storyline that we really don't talk about. It seems enough that, you know, one of the best players, one of the best pitchers in team history is a guy that grew up down the road. It's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it really is. I, I like, I think that that adds to the, uh, to the just overall, just like unique nature of, you know, what's going on here that one, I like that he was also starting pitcher, but the blue Jays, when they brought him into the system, thought that like, if it doesn't work out as a starter, like they wanted to develop him as a starter, that they had this card in their back pocket that he had the potential to be a really good reliever. And it speaks to the ability to develop uh, that type of, you know, pitcher, that type of arm that, they had the confidence that, you know, if it didn't work out as a starter, that he could, in fact, make the transition to being a reliever. Because that's not an easy transition to make. It's not just altering your pitches and your mix and what you throw in certain situations, et cetera, et cetera. It's a mentality thing as well. You just are coming in for three outs and you're just amped up. You got to control your emotions, a lot of adrenaline. And there, there haven't been really any moments that I can think of, few and far between at the, at, at, uh, at the most where he's looked like the moment has been too much for him. He's just come in basically from the get-go when they unleashed him as a high leverage reliever and gotten the job done. And it's huge, man, to have that kind of homegrown uh, type of stud in the back end of the bullpen and not having to pay all that money for it. Like they were linked to Liam Hendricks uh, before last season. He got a monster, unique contract from the White Sox or like a, a lot of different structure of the deal. And, you know, it would be great if Liam Hendricks was also here, but it would have blocked the path for Jordan Romano to become, I think, you know, knock on wood, barring injuries. And, you know, on this podcast, we, we can't say enough, like we're not cursing anyone just because we're talking positively about somebody that's not our fault. If something bad happens, even though it seems like that's been the case early in the season, he's on an all-star path. No question about it with the way he started. And like, who's to say that pitching in the seventh or eighth, even though he's done it with success in the past, you know, he just seems so at ease, so comfortable in that ninth inning role. Yeah, he is built for that closer role. Uh, You definitely have to be someone that can handle the highs and lows. And uh, he is just cold blooded every time he steps on that mound. All right, let's get to uh, listener questions coming up. We still got to hand out our Teoscars for the week for our player 
of the week, but I got a bunch of listener questions that we received on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Uh, let's begin with Pat's fan, Josh, who asked, any concerns with Bo Bichette so far? Is the number two batter he has to get on base for Vlad. He has zero walks, 10 Ks, and uh, coming into Sunday's action, had an on base of around 200. Uh, if you ask me, says Pat's fan, he's an undisciplined hitter, constantly swings at balls, and who wants and who wants to hit his way on base he has to put the team first as pats fan got to stop uh, putting the stats ahead of uh, the team's personal gains uh, I, I don't think that's the case with Ugh. boba Shed. he wants to win ball games just as much as anyone but you know we talk about some of the early struggles for some of these hitters whether it's uh, an alejandro kirk boba Shed's right up there right now are we concerned pretty sure i can speak for you as of right now no we're not concerned he's uh, got a track record coming into this season of a guy who's going to hit now if you want to discuss you know the way he goes about it that's a different conversation because I have always been hopeful that at some point he would be someone that maybe not necessarily gets up to double digits in walk rate but maybe walks a little bit more than you know the five percent below that we've seen but early on here you know 41 plate appearances coming into Sunday's action and zero walks so far is a little bit concerning But I think when we look at Bo Bichette, that's just who he is, right? He is someone that's going to stay true to himself. And throughout his entire baseball career, high school, little league, professional baseball, what has he done? He's a guy that puts the barrel on the baseball, and he's someone that's going to hit his way aboard. He's just not interested in standing up there and taking pitches. He's just going to try to attack the baseball as much as possible. And when it's not working, this is what you get. It looks terrible. But when he gets into that rhythm, gets that timing, it looks incredible. And this is just what we're going to have to live with. There's going to be times where he's going through what he's going through right now. But as we've seen the last three years, when he gets hot, I mean, it's just on another planet. (laughs) So like, this is just where we're at with uh, Bo Bichette, unfortunately. I think, you know, the sentiment that if he could improve his discipline a little bit, people will keep harping on it because if he did, he probably win MVPs. That's how prodigious his talent is. He's gotten better defensively. I've already been very impressed uh, with what I've seen so far this season. And really the second half of last year as well. I thought he was, uh, he was pretty solid, but this is the type of hitter he is. You're exactly right. You know, he swings at a lot of pitches and this kind of brings it back to this prisoner of the moment sample size thing where, you know, you're spouting off that it's been eight games and he hasn't walked and he's hitting under the Mendoza line. He does have two hits uh, on Sunday that, oh, well, you know, swinging out of his shoes, he's selfish. He's not putting the team first. It's just it's a scuffle at the start of the season. You wouldn't be saying the same thing if it was even May and certainly June, July, August, whatever players go through it at various points. That's the nature of baseball. It's 162 games. You're playing close to every day. There are going to be weeks where it's just not going great. And the season just started nine days ago. So to like really be sounding the alarm and panicking about what you're seeing from Bo Bichette, considering his track record of success in the major leagues, He's a 30, he's 37% better than league average in his career as an offensive player. And he's played, you know, two, 353 games. That's a decent sample size, a very good production. So are we really going to ignore that, that, you know, eight or nine of the games of the 353 haven't been very good. How many eight or nine game samples has he had in his career where he hasn't been good? A handful, a bunch, it's going to happen. Couldn't be less concerned. The numbers are going to be great at the end of the season. And he is going to spark this team a bunch of times and uh, he's a joy to watch and I'm not, you know, remotely even, it hasn't even registered so far through nine games. Like, yeah, okay. He's had some bad at bats, but he always has bad at bats. Yeah. Just looking at some of the, you know, numbers under the hood, I look at his um, chase rate. It's right in line with where he's been his entire career. 42%, his swing rate, 56% for his career, 56.9% so far this season. The only thing that really jumps out, uh, the swinging strike rate is up a tick, up a couple of percentage. And the the called strike whiff percentage is at 30%, which is uh, 9% above from where it was last year. But that might be a case of what we've seen from the umpire where he's just gotten some ridiculous strike calls that he can't swing at. So, you know, it's a called strike that uh, goes against him, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, to kind of jump off the, the wagon here, uh, nine, 10 games into the season. And like you said, he's got a couple of hits already uh, on uh, Sunday. 
while we record this podcast. I, I think, you know, it's a situation where just have to let it ride. And, you know, it's tough. Without Teoscar Hernandez uh, in the lineup right now, he's going to have to be leaned on. But you're not, you know, dropping Bo Bichette to, to sixth or seventh in this order, uh, even as bad as he's going right now, because you need him. And uh, he's paying off so far with a couple of hits uh, on this Sunday. So no concerns with uh, regards to Bo Bichette as it stands right now on uh, April 17th when we record this. If we are uh, talking in a month and he's still hitting under the Mendoza line, then uh, we can revisit this. But uh, right now, uh, we're not too concerned. Uh, Matt says on Twitter, if uh, Ross Stripling didn't get hurt last year, I'm pretty sure Stephen Matt's doesn't get paid because Stripling takes that number five job last year. Two questions. Why did they not let Ross Stripling continue to pitch on Friday? And when does he take Yusei Kikuchi's job? Well, as it stands right now, he's uh, going to take Hunjin Ryu's job yes. because he's on the uh, injured list. And, you know, you and I last year spoke a lot about new Ross, new Ross Stripling, who seemed to uh, figure something out early on there in the season and ended up having a, a pretty decent run for the Blue Jays during a, a few months stretch. But you know, you look at the situation they're in right now and with Hunjin Ryu on the IL, you know, Ross Stripling is going to be leaned on. And why didn't they let him keep pitching last night? Because obviously he hasn't, you know, built up to a point where he's going to be able to throw um, six innings or anything. But, you know, with uh, the injuries they're dealing with right now in the starting rotation, he's going to be an important piece here because their bullpen has been used a lot so far. They're playing a lot of games in this first part of the season. They're going to need more outings like that from Ross Stripling for when he goes out there and to give him, you know, four or five innings. Doesn't have to be scoreless every time, but he can't go out there. And, you know, we saw there were some moments last year where he did not make it out of like the second inning. We we cannot have that uh, early on here in the year with uh, Ross Stripling. But, you know, I know there's some people that aren't big fans of his because he can be kind of maddening to, to watch at times. But, you know, I think he's had a pretty solid run here as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays in these, uh, you know, first two seasons with the ball club. I think he's sort of one of the, you know, unheralded guys that has, you know, had some pretty decent performances for this club. Yeah, like I, I, you know, he made some mechanical adjustments, changed things up a little bit last year and had a, a nice stretch uh, over a pretty decent sample after a rough start. And, you know, I think it was expected that he was going to be somebody that the Blue Jays were going to have to use at various points during the season. And like, was I expecting it? Were we expecting it? Was anyone expecting it to be 10 days into the season? Not necessarily, but he has a track record of starting games successfully as a big league pitcher. So definitely a good depth arm to have. They could use another one now because, you know, like they have, not that much bubbling at the surface in terms of, you know, major league ready depth at the triple a level. Like there are some arms, but nobody that you'd look at and say, Oh boy, uh, like I feel great about this particular arm starting games at the major league level. So they might need to look at something, but that's easier said than done uh, early in the season. You just got to hope that guys stay healthy. That's always the big equalizer is starting pitchers getting injured and, you know, with a short spring, you know, it's a little bit unpredictable. We've already seen one go down. You're hoping that that's all it is. And he's out for a short period of time. But Ross Stripling is somebody that I think you can depend on because like, he throws a bunch of pitches. Like if he continues building up, he can miss bats. He doesn't walk too many. Yeah, there's some hard contact and some home runs mixed in there. But he is, I think, like we talked about five and dive for Ryu earlier. That I think he can be that type of pitcher. Once he's built up, he can give you five, five and a third of two or three run baseball, which more often than not, I think should allow this offense enough of an opportunity to score runs to win a baseball game. And he is somebody who has d demonstrated that he's capable of doing that. So as far as depth options, injury replacements go, Ross Tripling's a pretty good one. And I'm going to reiterate this again. There, there's three guys in this pitching staff that have to be really, really good as far as the rotation goes. And that's Barrios, Gossman, and Manoa. Anything you get from Ryu, Stripling, Kikuchi is gravy, right? Like any good thing that you get, you're going to take that. Um, there's going to be some good. There's going to be some bad with that, that back end of the rotation, as we've already seen so far. But if you keep getting more of those starts that we saw from Ross Stripling, uh, like we saw on Friday night, I mean, you're going to take that every single day of the week. Uh, let's grab uh, one more question. And this one has been running hot in the uh, Toronto Blue Jays social media streets. As you know, Josh uh, Kramer asks on Twitter, how concerned are you about Kevin Biggio at the plate? The uh, Kevin Biggio conversation continues. You're the perfect guy to ask because uh, you've yeah. been ride or die with Kevin. You still believe that there's something there. 
so far this season, it has uh, not been great. The strikeout rate approaching 50%, still, uh, you know, walking a decent amount. Uh, he's been pretty decent in the field as well. But uh, you're the guy to ask about this. Kevin Biggio, is it uh, going to happen or is it not going to happen? Where should uh, Blue Jays Nation land on uh, Biggio at this point? Well, like I, I think it's too early to say definitively. It's probably more likely than not uh, going to work out because it's been rough for, you know, over a calendar year, basically, or about a calendar year. But, you know, he stung a ball on Sunday that had an expected batting average of 600 that wasn't out. Sometimes when you can't buy one, you just can't buy one. Like he's still walking, like you said. There's like his, it's just this age, age old story with him. He looks at pitches that he probably should swing at, and then he ends up expanding the zone and flailing at a pitch on a full count and gets out. And like, I think that that is what it is. I, it, it's still early in the season. He's kind of a methodical type of hitter where I, I feel like he could put it together for some stretches this season. But I think Santiago Espinal already has been playing more at second base. And I think that that should continue because, you know, the priority is winning baseball games. Like we're going to say a number of times this year, we've already said it today. I'll continue to bang the drum. And right now, and probably going forward, Santiago Espinal gives you a better chance to do that at second base than Kevin Biggio. So ride with that. And, you know, Biggio is going to get, you know, we saw him at first base. We'll probably see him from time to time in right field. We'll see him at second base. We might see him in other spots. He's going to get his share of at bats and he's a versatile player and, and he can wear many different hats. But in terms of being an everyday second baseman right at this moment, I don't think that he is. And I don't think that he should be. Yeah, I mean, they have a guy in Espinal who's just playing exceptionally well right now. I know with Teoscar Hernandez and, and Danny Jansen out, you're going to need as uh, many bats as you can get right now. And uh, Biggio, you know, has a track record of someone that can take a walk, that can run into one uh, every once in a while. And, and we've seen his playing time, obviously, you know, come down with the emergence of Espinal to begin the season. But, you know, this organization has talked so much about how much they like Kevin Biggio on and off the field, uh, you know, kind of similar to Alejandro Kirk They're They're going to keep giving him opportunities and hopefully he can, you know, figure things out uh, at the plate. So uh, it's going to be a conversation. I feel like all season long with regards to Kevin Biggio, what do you do? Um, you know, feels like uh, this is a big season for him as far as his career with uh, this front office and with this uh, franchise, but uh, we shall see how it all plays out. Uh, finally, time to uh, wrap up the show, get to our Teoscars, the player of the week, four nominees for the, this past week for the Blue Jays. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who, as we mentioned, had a, a monster week. He probably has a chance to win player of the week uh, in Major League Baseball as far as the American League goes. Kevin Gossman, a strong performance at Yankee Stadium against New York. I threw Zach Collins in there, Josh, who uh, has been a nice surprise with some uh, big hits over the last few games. And then Jordan Romano continues his strong play to begin this season. So who are you going with? Uh, where's your Teoscar landing this week? I'm going with Zach Collins. You know, like, again, the sample size was low and people were saying, you know, you traded Reese McGuire for this bum. How could you make this trade? This guy sucks. And lo and behold, you know, judging a guy after three games is a fool's errand. And he's not going to keep this up, this level of just power production, but really productive homestand. And I think has a, an element that uh, is helpful. Lefty pop off off the uh, bench later in the season, potentially when there's more catchers healthy, DH option can catch. Good week. And, you know, like last week, Danny Jansen probably isn't going to win that many Tay Oscars. And then, uh, like, he basically got hurt he was hurt when we gave him the Tay Oscar on Sunday. Yeah. And then it was just announced, uh, I guess on Monday, hopefully that doesn't happen with Zach Collins. He probably isn't going to win another one this year, but he deserves it. Even in a week with uh, Vladdy hitting three home runs, Collins had a number of good moments, number of good swings. Uh, I thought he was decent defensively uh, in the moments that he was uh, called on as a catcher. Good, good week for Zach Collins. He gets my nod. Yeah, I gave mine to Vladdy last week. Too easy to give it to him again, even though he probably deserves it just uh, for that performance alone in New York against the Yankees. But uh, I'll go with Kevin Gossman, who, uh, as I touched on, looks so, so good uh, in that game against the uh, the Yankees. And we know, Josh, people love, you know, these uh, tests against the, the big teams yep. in the division. And, you know, uh, we saw it with Jose Barrios uh, last year, had some uh, pretty nice performances against the Yankees. Alec Manoa's had some big games against the Yankees as well. And it just gives people a different, you know, sense of confidence with uh, 
these pitchers when they, you know, have to have these big divisional games. And Kevin Gossman passing that test early on, looking uh, superb, uh, striking out nine Yankees in that start in the Bronx. So he's a guy obviously has a track record pitching in the AL East previously, but uh, he was not the same guy that he is now, to uh, say the least. So Mike Teoscar goes to Kevin Gossman for this week. Once again, want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. You can find us on social media at Rob Wong 34 at Jay Goldberg 12 and you can find the pod at DFA underscore pod on Twitter. But please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, we love uh, all the comments as well. Uh, please sending them our way. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Designated for Assignment Podcast for Josh Goldberg. I'm Rob Wong. We'll talk to you in a week's time.